hello, hello. How's everybody doing out there in podcast land? I guess that's what we could call it. I'm Shane, your host today, uh, United in Christ Jesus on the That They May All Be One podcast. It's a ministry of United in Christ Jesus, and over on the mixing board is my awesome, amazing wife, Holly, of 10 years, who's waving, and she's kind of laughing at me because my team got stomped yesterday, and her team did the stomping on another team. So it's another year that I'm going to have to bear the shame of Nebraska being subpar at best. All right. Thanks, honey, for that, by the way. Uh, so here we are, season five, and we're all about discernment. And we talked about defining discernment last time and it and really understanding what the definition is, because so often when we have conversations with people, what we don't understand, what we don't do is define our terms so that we're all on the same page, and by being on the same page, we're able to have effective dialogue. Notice I didn't say arguments. I didn't say screaming matches. I didn't say anything other than dialogue. We can actually look at and discuss the things of God the things about discernment on a level playing field, per se. This week, we're going to look at perhaps the one overlooked aspect of what discernment should start with. Now, last week, we talked about, or I shouldn't say last week, the last episode, we talked about the Word of God. This is where discernment comes from. There is a spiritual gift of discernment, but we're talking about having the Word of God richly dwelling in you, and that through that framework, through the framework of God's Word, we think the thoughts of God, we love the things that God loves, hate the things that God hates, and we're able to evaluate this world, this physical world, we're able to look at everything through that that lens, seeing the spiritual and the physical, and how we should live how we should address people. We are, in essence, taking God's word and using it as the means for our knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that we may engage this world with the gospel and our brothers and sisters that we may grow together to build one another up, to correct one another in love. This episode, we are going to look at what I'd like to say is the most overlooked aspect of having firm discernment, one that's laid out throughout Scripture, one that is completely put forth, and it is one of those that if we're not careful, we put it to the side, and it becomes nothing more than a means of debate rather than a means of growth. And what am I talking about? Simply put, the last days. Simply put, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, our salvation being realized at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the scripture verses that I want to use today um, will come from, obviously, my favorite book, 1 Peter. We'll look at Hebrews, Acts, 2 Thessalonians, and then really the entire book of Revelation. But it is important that we never forget There's three things that the Lord in his word has us to always keep in our mind at the forefront. The first is, where did I bring you from? 
We see this with with him bringing the uh, uh, Israelites out of Egypt, redeeming his people and saving his people from slavery. Where are you at right now? Who are you? How are you walking? How are you living? Are you being my royal priesthood? Are you being a holy nation? Are you proclaiming my excellencies? But what is the basis of all of that? The basis of all of that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father where he sits, rules, reigns, intercedes. And at a time of the Father's choosing, he is returning to gather all his own to himself and to damn the rest. All of this now is predicated. Its, it's, it's foundation is Jesus is coming again. And so today, I, I've we and we've uh, I should say I we the title for our podcast. If you haven't already noticed, it's from here to eternity, and it's because we have to, as Christians, every day remember these three foundational truths: where have we been brought from, where are we now, but more importantly, where are we going? Which might lead us into that little horrible word, and I call it horrible because more times than not, it doesn't turn into a a blessing and a growth that turns into an argument, eschatology, the last days. How is the Lord Jesus Christ returning? And it's not bad to talk about eschatology. If we are, I truly believe if we are seeking to know the Lord, we will seek to understand him in his word, and part of that is eschatology, his return. And we should strive and study to be shown approved. We should daily be seeking to know the Lord more and more and more in his word. And eschatology is a part of that. But I say it's horrible because all too often what ends up happening is, what do you believe about the end times? I actually had this happen with me not too terribly long ago, at which somebody had uh, expressed their views on the end times. And when I was asked, what, is that what I believed? I told them, no, I didn't believe that. I believed this. At which point, it no longer was, I wasn't allowed to talk. Things got kind of cut off. And it was all about their viewpoint. And, and that being said, it was the assumption was made that I didn't understand what they meant. And quite to the contrary, by God's grace, I, I've studied, I know the, the different eschatologies. And, and so it was like, why are you're asking me what I believe and why? But then as soon as I start to speak, you're wanting to shut me down and not allow me to talk. Why? And this is what happens often when we don't study for ourselves. We get a book, we read some author, and we go, okay, that's what I believe. And it may be because it, it makes you feel better. Maybe it's something that gives reassurance. However, eschatology should never be a means by which we take our eyes off the primary focus, and that is Jesus is coming. I mean, Hallelujah. Think about that. He's died. He was put in a grave. 
He walked out. God raised him from the dead bodily, physically, mentally, emotionally, spirit. He came walking out of that grave victorious. He was raised. He lived on this earth, showed himself to other disciples, and then he was ascended into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And friends, all we're told in the book of Acts is that he will come in the same way that he left. Think about that. The main thing that the angels told the the disciples, the apostles, was, why are you staring up into the sky? He's going to come again just as the way you saw him depart. So the key here is when our eyes are fixated upon our risen Lord and Savior Jesus and we are eagerly awaiting his return, then our hearts are so captivated, so foundationally enthralled in love because we eagerly await our Savior, that we share Christ. We proclaim him. We make him known because he lives. He's not abstract. He's not a concept. It's not a, he lives. He's risen. And because he is risen and he's ruling and reigning, he is coming back to mediate out the wrath of God. Revelation tells us the wrath of God and of the Lamb. We are to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. Now, there are places throughout Scripture where we're told and given some insights as to how things will occur. And I believe God has done that so that we will see things differently, and it will force us to do a couple of things, either that we'll be acting in our flesh, or two, we will be acting in love, and we will desire to know him in his word, and we will build one another up in discussion, in study, in prayer, in fasting. So what does it what do I mean that eschatology becomes, you know, that horrible word and, and what should we really be focused on? Well, think about in first Peter chapter one. It says to obtain an inheritance unblemished and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Think about that. First Peter starts out, and one of the first parts of First Peter is have your eyes focused on the end. Have your eyes focused. Think about continually that God is protecting you, guarding you, and that one day soon Christ is going to return, and then you will be with him, and you will know him. You will See him as he is. You will know as you are known. You you are going to have an intimacy with Christ that has never been known before because there will be no more sin. Go down to Hebrews chapter 9. You know, one of the verses I use for open-air preaching and calling people to repentance and faith is verse 27. Inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. But it's the next verse, which is the, the found, is a, a foundational comforting verse. Therefore, since Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, he'll appear a second time without reference to sin for those who eagerly await. Wow, think about that. The next time the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he's not coming back in reference to your sin because it was already paid for on the cross. You're co- he's coming back to bring you to himself and to take you to be with him forever, and not not at, not from a distance, not like 
I've got to wait my turn to go in and see the king. No, the lamb will shine brightly and will reflect his glory and we'll be able to be with him and enjoy him and the Father forever. And that is why our eyes are to be focused upon Christ and where he is and his return. Because when he returns, if we are expecting him, we will be walking in a manner worthy of his calling. It will affect the way we live today. Does not Jesus tell us, be dressed in readiness? What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Christ was still walking on in his earthly ministry at that time, and he was warning people even then, saying, the key here is to be ready for my second coming. The key here is after this, you need to be ready for my return because I'm not coming as the suffering servant. I'm not coming as the Lamb of God. I'm coming as the roaring lion of Judah. Think about what it talks about in Acts 17. Paul and the Aragapus, and he's in front of all these philosophers. And what is the final verdict? What is the final thrust of his, of his apologetic there? He goes through all the things, but he brings them now to the resurrection. And he says, therefore, God commands all people to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The final thing that Paul points all of everybody to is you need to flee the wrath of God, and you need to be found in the righteousness of his son, Jesus, because Jesus' sacrifice has been accepted and it is the one means by which God has made propitiation for sins. Your sins, my sins. Go down to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, When Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. All of Scripture, look at the book of Revelation, start to finish, is all about keeping your eyes focused on where Christ is and his return. Isn't that amazing? The Old Testament points to the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ comes. He he declares himself as the Son of God, the Messiah, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's crucified, and even before he's crucified, he starts teaching about Christ's return, his return. And then after his resurrection, everything from that point forward is foundationally set in the gospel, but ultimately the crown is Christ is risen and he is returning. Our hope is in his life. Our life is in his life, is his life, that he is our justification. He is our pearl of great price. He is our heaven. We want Jesus. Yes, we want to be with other brothers and sisters and enjoy time together. But ultimately, above all, we're wanting to join together just to worship our great God and Savior Jesus and our Father as they sit upon their thrones. Our eyes need to be fixated upon that day. And if we 
if we melt that down to just eschatology and trying to figure out who's got the best argumentation as to how Christ returned, we're missing the big picture. We're missing really the only picture and that he is returning. And if our eyes are realizing that in our discussion of eschatology, if our eyes are fixated and we realize that every discussion we have on whatever aspect of doctrine we have is in the light that Christ rules and reigns, King Jesus is on his throne and he is returning, then we will eagerly await him and we will continually point to the resurrection and the return of Christ. And when we do that, friends, our discernment will be in the right place. We will truly be able to focus on the things that matter most. Sure, we have disagreement on eschatology, but you know what? Let's stop for a second. Let's worship and praise that he's coming. Sure, we may have a a difference of opinion on spiritual gifts, but remember, the church is going to be presented to our great God and Savior, to our King, spotless and blameless, pure. She is victorious. Let us worship. And it's amazing how when we put our focus upon our King and it remains upon him, that the other parts become means of building each other up, not tearing each other down. I've, I've shared with Holly before, and I, we did a podcast on it. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, it, you look at it in the context of that. Chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is about things, the organization, and how things happen in the church. It's amazing that in the between those two is chapter 13, which is a great chapter on love. And so without chapter 13, chapter 12 will corrupt chapter 14. And it's our discernment. Are we acting in love? And if we're acting in love, we're truly pointing people to Christ and where he is and his return to flee from the wrath to come, to be wrapped in his righteousness so that we can eagerly await him. We don't have to shy away from him, but we can run up and grab our great God and Savior and worship and know that he loves us with a love incorruptible, so pure, so undefiled, that we could only dare dream about how beautiful it really will be. So let's do that. Let's encourage each other every day that we can, our brothers and sisters, as often as it's possible, to dare think and dwell upon the love that's going to be revealed to us when our Master, our King, our Savior, our Lord, our God, Jesus, returns. And then we're truly, truly acting in wise discernment. Until next time, grace and peace, everyone. And remember, Reformation is a return to the sound doctrine of the Bible. Revival is the practice of that sound doctrine under the power of the Holy Spirit.